Well, did you realize that over the last hundred years, Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday have collided just four times? Next time it happens is 2029, and that'll be it for the rest of this century. So this is a pretty rare occasion today. Uh, Lent and, and Valentine's Day. Heart and ashes. Do you give chocolate or do you say, I'm giving up chocolate? <laughs> I mean, it, it's hard, hard to know what to do today. For those who are unfamiliar with the season of Lent, this goes way back in Christian history to some of the early decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Lent began as a 40-hour observance, recognizing the 40 hours Jesus' body was in the tomb. It would end early Easter morning when initiates to the Christian faith would be baptized. The Lord's Prayer, as we will learn in this series, was a part of special occasions like that. Over time, <clears throat> the 40 hours was stretched into the week, remembering all of the events surrounding Jesus' passion and suffering. And that is uh, how Holy Week came to be. And then, over time, in the early days of the Holy Roman Empire, the six days, the week, got stretched into 36 days because it's a tithe or 10% of the year. 336 days in the year, 36 days, just like 365 days. Thank you, my wife gave me a funny look just then. 365 <laughs> days. So a tithe is 36 days. And just like a tithe of, of your resources is 10% of your money, you give that. Lent became a way of saying, I, I give to God a tenth of my year to devote to understanding, appreciating the meaning of the cross, the suffering, the sacrifice of Jesus. And what does it mean for me to be somebody who says, and I will take up my cross and follow him? So Lent is a time to think about discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So uh, practices became associated with Lent, like, like fasting and self-denial, things that helped us think more intentionally about the suffering of Jesus. And so that's how traditions like Mardi Gras came about. You know, people would give up sweets, they would give up excess foods for Lent. So the day before Lent begins yesterday, Mardi Gras, which means Fat Tuesday, started because everybody said, oh, I've got to clean out my cupboards. I'm not going to eat this all through Lent. So you'd have a big feast day and just stuff yourself and have a big party. And that's how Mardi Gras came about. In fact, that's how we got pancakes. People getting rid of their excess dough would make things with them. Pancakes came about because of the day before Lent. It's how we get pretzels. Did you realize that? The word pretzel comes from a German word that's the derivative of a word in Latin that means arms. So the dough would be rolled and folded into something that looked like arms in prayer. Now the founder of the Protestant movement, Martin Luther, was German and Martin Luther drank beer. So the next time you drink beer and eat pretzels, you're actually doing something very spiritual. <laughs> Eventually, 
four days were added on the front end to the season of Lent. Now, here's a a thing to understand, because if you're counting the days, you already have a reason not to trust my math. If you're counting the days, you don't count the Sundays. You don't count the Sundays in Lent. That's a chance to break from the fasting. Now, the really rigorous among you say, no, you don't get a break from your fasting. You do it all the way to Easter. You don't take Sunday off, but you can take Sunday off. So you don't include the Sundays in Lent, but four days were added on the front end in keeping with the biblical symbolism of 40. 40 hours, Jesus' body was in the tomb. The 40 days, Jesus was in the wilderness. The 40 years, the Israelites roamed the wilderness. And so it begins today, Ash Wednesday. We call it Ash Wednesday because you take the burned palm fronds from the previous Palm Sunday. Our staff already took care of that for you. Last week for our staff chapel, we went outside and burned the palm fronds. And you mark the sign of the cross on the forehead to remember in a very somber way that from ashes we came and to ashes we shall return. That's a morbid way to start for, for Valentine's Day, isn't it? That's a morbid Valentine's Day. But the meaning of Ash Wednesday is not morbid at all. It's very spiritual. Because what we recognize is these earthly bodies are going to waste away one day. But we are meant for eternity. We are essentially spiritual beings. And so, yes, from ashes we came to ashes we shall return, but we are more than ashes. That's what we affirm on Ash Wednesday. So, in this season of Lent, to help us tend to our souls, we're going to be studying the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be thinking about the meaning of this prayer that's intended to connect us to God. Now, You may be thinking, I don't always get a God connection with the Lord's Prayer. It's just a ritual that I do. I always thought that's how we end the pastoral prayer. You just say these words. But as we're going to learn in this series, when you study what Jesus offered to the disciples, we realize he was offering a very new, very fresh, radical understanding of prayer that gave people a whole new connection to God. So the hope of this series is that that is going to happen for us. The hope is that we are going to experience a new and refreshing connection with God, a new appreciation for the meaning of the Lord's Prayer, and something that will deepen our own prayer lives. And so we begin on this Ash Wednesday with the first line in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven. Now that first word, our, is a sermon in itself. If you think about it, it's kind of unusual that Jesus would offer a practice that helps people individually pray and connect to God and say our. You would think he would say, pray like this, my father in heaven, but he doesn't. He says, our father, our In other words, we can't think about our connection to God without thinking about our connection to each other. In other words, when we pray, we're not just to think about what it is we are asking God for. 
We're to think about what others are asking God for. We are all God's children. We are all loved and valued by God. The Jew and the Hamas member are children of God. The Christian, the Muslim, the Buddhist, the Hindu are children of God. The American, the Ukrainian, the Russian, the Chinese are children of God. The MAGA hat wearer and the Biden voter are both members of the same family of the children of God. The aunt you love and her husband who drives you crazy are both children of God. When we pray, our, we think not only, not only what we want God to do for us, we're also invited to think what are others, even our enemies, asking God to do. Carver McGriff, our, one of our former senior pastors, was here with his wife earlier today for the noontime service. And I shared a story about how some years ago, a member of our church who has since passed away, a beautiful woman named Mary Luffel, invited Susan and me to join her and her husband Jim for dinner one night. And she also invited Carver and Mary Ann. Now, the Leffels lived on a beautiful piece of property in Zionsville. They had a lot of wooded land. And they wanted us to have a picnic outside. So some distance from their home was just this nice area, picnic table. We met there. She was getting everything out of the basket, getting the table set. It was cloudy. It, it looked like it could rain. And so Mary said, Carver, pray that God will keep our evening dry tonight. <laughs> Carver, being typically Carver, said, now Mary. What is the farmer up on the hill praying as he looks out over his crops and they're in desperate need of rain? And he's praying for God to send rain so that he can eat. Mary said, oh, Carver, well then pray that God rains on his field and keeps our picnic dry. <laughs> now, I went home and thought about Carver's question. And I probably considered it <laughs> at a much deeper level than Carver ever intended. But I couldn't help but, but wonder, what does it mean to pray and then think about what am I asking for and how might it be in conflict with what someone else is asking for? How might it impact your prayers to begin with our now, the problem in the Lord's Prayer is what Jesus says next. That's what causes discomfort for many, the reference to God, our Father. This way of addressing God would probably have been uncomfortable for Jesus' disciples. It was much more intimate than they were used to. Jesus spoke Aramaic. He was using an Aramaic word here, Abba, Abba. It didn't just mean father. It was what a child would call a father. It was a colloquial term, daddy, papa. For the disciples and for most Jews in Jesus' day, they prayed our father, but it was more formal than that. 
um, the common synagogue invocation began, Our Father, Our King, to pray to God, Our Daddy, (laughs) Our Papa, would have felt too personal, too intimate for the disciples. So why would Jesus use this expression? He's not just giving us a title for God. He's telling us something about the character of God. That God desires to be known personally. That God wants an intimate relationship with us. That God loves every one of us in a deeply personal way. But Jesus is also telling us a lot more than that. Jesus is talking about his relationship to God. Over 70 times in the Gospels, Jesus used the term father for God. Jesus understood that God loved him intimately and personally. So think about this. When Jesus teaches us to pray our father, he's inviting us to share his relationship with God. But still, for some people, it is very difficult to pray to God in association with father. Not all father-child relationships are affectionate and trustworthy. If we had a human father who was unloving, even abusive, then praying to God as father feels unsafe. But Jesus seemed to understand this. Jesus told stories that seemed to recognize that not all families got along real well. You remember the parable of the, of the father and the two sons? The father says to the one son, I need you to go do this for me. And the son says, stick it in your ear. I'm not doing that for you. So the father says to the other son, I need you to do this for me. He said, dad, sure, I'll do anything for you. But he doesn't do it. The other one who was rude feels bad. He repents. He goes and does it. Jesus' most famous parable was about a son who could not wait to get away from his father, so much so that he asked for his inheritance even before the father died. That was kind of like saying to his dad, you might as well be dead to me. I want your money more than I want you. Jesus told stories that showed that he gets it, that not every family gets along. And a lot of father-child relationships are very troubled. Why would he use this? Reference to God as Father. In Philip Yancey's book on prayer, he quotes George MacDonald, who offered advice to people who struggle with praying to God as Father. You must interpret the word, he said, by all you have missed in life. Adam Hamilton, in his book on the Lord's Prayer, said it this way, I wonder if Jesus chose this image of father, not because God is like our earthly fathers, but because so many long for the love of a father they never had. We all long for that, don't we? As good a a relationship as some might have had with their fathers or with their parents, If they're gone now, you really miss that. But if you didn't, you still miss that. Max Lucado, in one of his books, tells 
about a young man named Pablo who got into a terrible fight with his father. They lived in a small village in Mexico. So the young man decides to leave home. He takes off. He goes to a a big city. The father feels terrible. He can't stand it. He has to go find his son. So he goes to the city. He looks for him everywhere. He can't find him. He makes up signs. Pablo, I love you. Forgive me. Meet me Saturday at noon in the city square. Love your father. He put those signs everywhere. He put them in hotels. He put them in restaurants. He put them in storefront windows. He nailed them to the trees on the street. Noon Saturday, the father goes to the city square and was shocked to see over a hundred young men named Pablo show up. We're all Pablo. Every one of us. We're all people who are looking for deep love, for forgiveness, for affection, for acceptance. And here's the deal. No matter how well you found those things with the parents who raised you, it's still not enough. And for those who had parents who maybe never showed that to them, even if they had parents who were present, we are aware that much more how desperately we need it. This might be the reason Jesus went on to say, our Father who art in heaven. The word heaven comes from a word that means high above. That's probably why when we talk about heaven, we go up there. It's in the sky. It's high above. But it's not a spatial reference. It's a spiritual reference. What it means is beyond our realm. Heaven is beyond our control, our world working the way we want things to work. Heaven recognizes the perfect. We're imperfect. The complete, the whole. And this is God's territory. Not a spatial reference. It's about the God who wants to come into our lives and to bring wholeness to us. You see, we are all born with a spiritual birth defect. We all have holes in our hearts. We're made that way. There's just a part of us that's missing. And no earthly love can fill the hole. Only God can. We need God's love to make us whole. That's what the 5th century Bishop Augustine, when he meant, when he said, our souls are restless until they find their rest in thee. In Matthew 23, Jesus makes a very interesting statement. He says, call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one in heaven. Jesus was not disparaging earthly fathers. What he's saying is no one can take God's place. Our true father who can fill that hole in the heart is the one who loves us completely. That's where we find our significance. 
the God who's the maker of heaven and earth, the God who formed the universes, who created the Milky Way and the solar system and put the stars in place, who formed the rivers and the deep oceans, who parted the Red Sea, who came to earth as a baby, who brought Jesus back to life. That God says, I want to be known personally. I want you to know I love you, that you are valued by me, that you are important to me. That is our source of significance. And when we realize that, we discover this is our inheritance. This is what we inherit, a tremendous love. My earthly father was a good man. He wasn't a perfect man. He had to grow up without a dad. When he got married, had children, he was committed to being the best dad he could be. He was very present. He was always there. But my dad's way of showing love could be tough. (laughs) Sometimes he could be harsh. On better days, I knew that this was because he wanted the best for his family. But when you're a teenager growing up, (laughs) you don't always see and feel the love through that. Sometimes we need help seeing that. And that's what my friend Jeff Shore did for me. Let me tell you a quick story about Jeff. When I played... Uh, Little League Baseball the first year, probably six years old, Jeff was on my team. And my dad was one of the coaches. And then after that year, uh, my family moved to another side of town, and I didn't see Jeff anymore until about six years later. I was in the basement of a Methodist church at a Boy Scout meeting, and in walked Jeff. His parents had gotten divorced, and so he went to live with his mother and her new husband, who happened to live near us. And from then on, Jeff and I were thick as thieves. He was my best friend growing up. We were together all the time, all the way through high school. I'll I'll not forget one day he called me and he said, "Um, Rob, can can you come over to the house? Bill left us. He was talking about his stepdad. He didn't say Bill left my mom. He said, Bill left us. And I guess because of that, my dad kind of took Jeff on as another son. Which meant Jeff got the same treatment I got. (laughs) He would get the tough love. He would get the demand. And I thought, well, this is good to have somebody share it with. (laughs) But Jeff saw all that differently. I know that because of what Jeff wrote in my high school senior year yearbook. As you can imagine, uh, working on this sermon and thinking about my own dad, I remember this story. I hadn't picked up my yearbook in ages, and you will not pick it up tonight. Um, 
This is not to be opened by anybody else, let me tell you. And Marcia knows that. She is to come get her hands on this as quick as possible. But my friend, Jeff, wrote these words when we graduated. Robert, that's what I went by in high school. The past five years have meant a lot more than you'll ever know. All of the fun times and bad times we have spent together holds many fond memories. It only seems like yesterday that I walked into the basement of the old church for Boy Scouts and saw a face that looked familiar. We've grown up together in many different ways during our most important years. You have a lot going for you, a bright family. I may have never told you, but you have a very beautiful family that cares, especially your dad. I will always love him for all the times he yelled and got on my back for something. I guess I never really missed that. I, I guess I really missed that during those years when a young teenager needs his father the most. He's very special. It's important for me to read that because sometimes it's easy to blame people who've left you some things in life to say oh the reason I get mad sometimes and fly off the handle that's just how my dad was that's how I am all oh, the reason why it's hard for me to show emotion sometimes at least affectionate emotion that's how my dad was but then I have to remember, no, no, deep down, my dad was a man of love. He deeply loved. And that's what I have in me. That's who I am. And I have a choice to live from that place. So it's no problem at all for me to pray to a heavenly father. Because I know I'm praying to a God who wants to love me beyond any earthly love, who wants me to know that I'm worth loving and who needs me to understand that so that that God can love others through me because that's the one thing that's going to outlast us. It's love. When our bodies are dead and gone, what will be left behind us is the way we love people, the way we help them experience God's love for them. That is what we pass on. So yes, from ashes we came, and to ashes we shall return. But you know what? We're more than ashes. Loving God, we thank you on this Ash Wednesday for the reminder <clears throat> that you are a God who loves us eternally, intimately, personally. When we pray to you, we are praying to a God who wants to be a part of our lives deeply. We thank you for this love anew and help us to begin this season growing in our desire to know you even better and to give you our hearts as best we can as we pray together this wonderful prayer you taught us to say. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I invite the